0: Hello and welcome to the Evil Lawyer's Guide to Life. I am the Evil Lawyer and you are not. Today we're going to talk about something that deserves a special super disclosure um, or Mirandizement or whatever you want to call it. Listen, uh, whatever I say today is completely fictional and is not to be relied on. None of our shows are legal advice, all of our shows are for entertainment purposes only. And if you do any of this, you'll probably end up needing to call an attorney, which you can find at 844-Evil-Law. You can also find us on Facebook at Evil Lawyers Guide, on the web at www.evillawyersguide.com. Keep sending those emails, by the way. I love reading them. And um, you can also find us on Twitter at Evil Law Guide. I know I never tweet. I'm sorry. I'm not just a tweet person, you know. Usually when I have something to say, it's on Facebook. So, um, if you want to find me, uh, 844 Evil Law, or uh, Facebook at Evil Lawyer's Guide. So, today's show is the Evil Lawyer's Guide to Getting Out of Debt, or Avoiding Debt, or, okay, just don't pay them. (laughs) That's what this is about. This is the Evil Lawyer's Guide to Not Paying for Shit. I'm not talking about stealing it, uh, I'm talking about not paying for it. So let's assume that those bills that are coming in, filling up your mailbox right now, after so many months of unemployment due to a virus and what have you, or maybe the, rioters, uh, the rioting looters burned down uh, the bar where you used to work, or uh, for whatever reason, you, you ain't got a job, and you've got people wanting money and you don't want to pay them. So we're going to assume that uh, that's not really your money and you didn't buy that big screen TV or that car or that house or anything else. Um, and you, you don't want to pay it because it's not yours, right? So with that assumption in hand and remembering that this is not legal advice, if you want legal advice, get an attorney. You can find them at 844-EVIL-LAW. No legal advice is given on this show. And if you take it as legal advice, you're just a dumbass. And let me channel my inner Lawrence Fishburne. What if I told you that you don't have to pay for all that crap you bought, allegedly? We have something in this country called debtor's rights. It kind of grew out of uh, general distaste for jolly old England, where they put people in debtor's prison and workhouses if they couldn't pay their bills. And uh, now we have something called the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, which is, if I say Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, every single time I mean Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, show will be too long. So I'm going to abbreviate it as FDCPA, like everyone else in my business does. But that is a federal law that says what they can and cannot do to collect money from somebody they think owes it. Um, then you have a lot of state laws and you have certain quote debtor friendly states like Texas and Florida and Nevada, unless it's owed to a casino. Cause if you don't pay your markers, you go straight to prison. And if you don't believe that, I know people who have gambling problems and they don't pay their markers and they go to prison. So if you want to go to butt rape jail, uh, not County jail, but, Yeah. The big house. Don't pay your markers in Nevada. Um, Texas, uh, is one state that, you know, they can't garnish your wages unless it's IRS or for child support. Um, so if you purchase a brand new car down at the mercedes place and decide not to pay for it and they can't find it and they get a judgment against you they can levy on your bank accounts which means they can take the money out if there's any in there but they can't issue a writ of garnishment to your employer and take your income it's something that's really important to remember if you don't intend to pay some bills whether you owe them or not we're assuming you don't owe them that really wasn't your mercedes And yeah, I've still got a sore throat, but I don't have the COVID. So if I cough, then uh, engineer, don't worry about taking it out because we need to get this relate and not that. Anyway, the show is late getting put out. And I don't want you guys to have to wait to hear it. So we're not going to edit out my coughing, swearing, or screaming or whatever happens. It just happens. Anyway, they can't garnish your wages in uh, Texas, and I don't think they can garnish them in Florida, but I don't know, maybe they can. And and we're just talking, like I said, we're talking about consumer debt, we're not talking about child support and that kind of thing, because they can't take your wages for that. So, debtors have a whole bunch of rights under this thing called the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, or the FDCPA, and your job and someone starts bugging you for money, is to get them to violate it. And if you want to get them to violate it, the first thing you need to do is be able to prove that they violated it because they're not going to send you a certified letter that says, if you don't pay this, we're going to have you put in jail. Or we're going to you know, notify your employer and your children and your neighbors. And They're not going to put all those violations in writing. So get a recording app for your phone. I know that Apples have a hard time recording conversations because of the way the hardware is designed to keep you from doing that, but if you have an Android or any other kind of phone, there's a whole bunch of free recording apps out there that record both sides of a conversation, and if you have an Apple and you're engaging in some of the shenanigans we're talking about today on this show, uh, keep one of those $15 recorders in your pocket, put on a credit card, and you're going to pay for it anyway. And hold it up to the phone and put them on speaker when they call you, because they will call you. I mean, in the beginning, you're going to get a bunch of letters from whoever claims you owe them money, whether it's the doctor's office who um, has the hidden backdoor charges that show up months later for that $92 aspirin, or whether it's the uh, store where you bought that big screen TV, or the place, place you bought that car, or if you really want to get fancy, the mortgage, um, you know, or in the beginning, they're going to send you letters. Now, in a second, we're going to touch on the, uh, how you can hide yourself from all of this and pretty much skate through life completely unnoticed, but that's an entirely different show and that's, we're going to call that the gray man, at least for now, unless I change my mind. But we are gonna touch on how you can avoid some of this, but basically they're gonna send you a bunch of letters which you're going to just, you know, if you don't wanna pay them, just chuck them in the trash. Actually shred them because they probably contain sensitive information and that's another thing. There's information they can put on those letters and there's information they can't put on those letters. So unless you're an attorney or you're a really accomplished con artist, you probably don't know whether a letter violates the FDCPA or not. Where I usually see letters that violate the FDCPA is from homeowners associations, which we could do 10 shows on how homeowners associations are all run by mid-level managers who all report directly to Satan. But homeowners associations uh, typically do not pay any attention to the FDCPA when they start sending out their letters. And when they accelerate the debt collection effort because you failed to cut one of those blades of grass on your acre lawn, they don't follow any of the rules, which means that you have a great offense. And that's what this is all about, really, is we get to the end of it. It's kind of like Gracie used to say, all fights end up on the ground. Well, it all ends up with, you know, a great offense is a lot better than a good defense. You need both, but back to the FDCPA and the recording apps on your phone. Um, Once the original debtor gets tired of sending you letters, and that can take anywhere from a couple of months to a year, they're going to send it out to a collection agency. Now, either they have their own or they sell it, and usually on the first go around, they have their own, and it's usually a law firm that they have a contract with. Um, really scummy lawyers start collection agencies. Uh, how do I know? Oh, I used to have one. Um, and the scummy or the lawyer, the scummy or the collection agency. So the first tier collection agencies are usually run by attorneys who know the FDCPA. They know the statutory damages they're liable for if they violate it. Yes, statutory damages. And all you got to do is prove violation and you can get more money out of them than they claim you owe them. Yeah, for real. 844 evil law. Um, so, usually, those first tiers, you know, they're going to do things correctly. They're going to send you the 30 day letter. You got 30 days to dispute this debt, blah, blah, blah. Respond to that, dispute it. Then they're going to have to go through and find, you know, all kinds of proof. And depending on the company that's doing the attempted collecting, They may just kick it at that point, and you may not hear from it again for a while until it gets sold down the list, and, you know, they just keep getting shistier and shistier and shistier. But dispute it. You you don't know it anyway. You didn't go to that doctor. You didn't buy that car. You didn't buy that house. You didn't buy that TV. You didn't sign up for that service. Whatever. Dispute it. You got 30 days to dispute it after you get that first letter from a collector. If they don't send that letter, and this happens a lot of times, if you don't get that letter, then they've broken the law, which is the FDCPA, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, again. So when you get the letter, you dispute it. Now, remember that recording app I told you to put on your phone? Here's why. Even those first-tier collection agencies the, the, the big ones, the ones that follow the law, have to hire human beings to make the phone calls. Well, they don't make the phone calls. A robocaller makes the phone calls. But if a person picks up, you get a human being on the other end telling you that you need to pay them. Well, you push enough buttons on that human being, and they're probably going to say something that violates the FDCPA. And if you don't you know, this is where you're basically building your case for the future. And if it's a $9 deal, then you probably don't want to worry about it. But if you're like one of my clients who we ended up settling his seven figure credit card bill for less than $40,000. Yeah, that's right. A seven figure credit card bill for less than $40,000. So all four of my listeners who have American Express black cards just perked up. 844-Evil-Law, I'll tell you what I can do for you. And we kept it off his credit, by the way. Um, man, it wasn't a him, that was a she. Anyway, we kept it off of their credit. When you you start psychoanalyzing the, cre- the collector you've got on the phone a little bit and start pushing their buttons, they may say some things that violate the FDCPA And each of those violations entitle you to a certain amount of statutory damages. And since I'm not your lawyer, and this is for entertainment purposes only, I'm not going to bore you with all that. Trust me when I say that it does happen, and um, even with the first-tier agencies. But um, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So how do you screw with collection agencies? Well, there's always the, no, I'm not him um and if you are a pro at this you probably already have a burner phone a burner address and four or five burner emails so you're probably not even getting these calls but if you are mess with them push all their buttons i don't mean just screaming and cursing that doesn't work they're used to that but you got to get under their skin, and in order to get under their skin, you got to talk to them a little bit. So you just keep them on the phone as long as you can until you figure out what their particular flavor of offensiveness or able to be offended is, and then start pounding that button. You know, uh, I've I've <laughs> done a case one time where my client figured out something about the person that was trying to get money out of him. And was able to rile him up to the point that he broke about 12 different uh, parts of the FDCPA in one phone call. And my client never uttered uttered a single swear word. It was was absolutely uh, poetry in motion. It was beautiful. Um, So, you know, once you're dealing with collection agencies, then you need to go on the Internet and look for something called a collection cease and desist letter and you send that to the collection agency if that's what you want to do if you don't care about your credit you send that to the collection agency and you can actually fire them and what that letter does in effect is demand that the debt revert to the original debt holder so the collection agency is out and it goes back to the original uh, person who claims you owe them money now when it goes back to the person who claims you owe them money, they'll either start sending the letters again, which starts the process all over, or they'll send it out to another collection agency. And you do exactly the same thing. Rent, Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. By the time you get down to the fourth or fifth collection agency, you're dealing with absolute scum who could not give one, shit about the FDCPA, and they will violate it nine ways to Sunday. They will threaten to go to your kid's school. They will threaten you with jail, which is impossible. They will threaten to go to your employer. They will threaten to go to your neighbors. I've had one case where they threatened to beat a guy with a bat, said they would be outside of his front door, and yeah, he did get under their skin a little bit, but all of these are violations of the FDCPA, and that becomes important later on when they sue you and you sue them back or if you just decide to make this your new occupation and you sue all these collection agencies because the I think the statutory fines the last time I did one of these was 500 bucks per occurrence and you can have 25 occurrences in one phone call if you get someone mad enough but the the lower tier they go the more likely you're going to have to deal with someone who's like, you know, Guido the killer pimp on the phone with you and making threats. And actually did have one of these cases where someone did show up at my client's door. And, you know, my client called the police. Uh, You can't show up at someone's door after you tell them I'm going to come over and beat you to death and expect nothing to happen. Because... By the time you get to these bottom-tier agencies, they might be run by some shyster who probably used to have a law license, or maybe he still does, but barely. And he's hiring ex-cons, you know, to run these boiler rooms. They don't even have robo-dollars. They're actually using their finger on a bunch of burner phones. And when you deal with those people, not only do they say crazy stuff, they do crazy stuff. So, you know, word to the wise. So after the cease and desist and after you've lather, rinsed, repeated a whole bunch of times, you may get to the point where you can make a settlement and say so you owed $10,000 to Dr. Joe. And, you know, Dr. Joe screwed you and it was supposed to be 2000 and that's what you paid. And now he's like, no, now you owe another 10. This happens all the time in the, in the medical industry. Uh, to the point there's legislation, and, you know, about it right now, uh, about these hidden fees and these, these phantom medical bills. But you ain't got to pay Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe can go to hell. You get down to a certain point where you've fired like nine collection agencies and Dr. Joe's got the bill back again. And you call him up and say, hey, you know what? I gave you $500 to go away. I don't owe you this, but, you know, and you settle it. Well, depending on Dr. Joe's office manager and his lawyer and a lot of other things, you may get a a 1099 for the $9,500 you didn't pay, and that's taxable income. And I don't really discuss taxes, because that's never been my bag. But it's something to be aware of. Now, the seven-figure Amex case, as far as I know, they never sent a 1099 on the seven figures that they wrote off um it also never appeared on her credit but um did I already talk about that we had a client uh, she had a seven figure Amex bill yeah she was rich and we settled it for 40 grand uh that's not the only one of those we've done that's just the one that comes to mind so those listeners of mine who have the black cards and you got this ginormous balance and you don't want to pay it um 844 evil law you'd be amazed uh i think amex knows me i think their attorneys know me by now i know that there's one i've dealt with so many times that he and i actually become friends and he's like oh geez it's you again because he knows that i'm going to pick apart everything they've ever said and everything they've ever done for federal fair debt collection practices act violations and i'm going to find them you always find them um and this is one of those things where, you know, we're entertainment purposes only. We're joking around about this. But if you're serious about it, you need a good lawyer. And you need a good lawyer that knows FDCPA law backwards and forwards. And there's only four of us out there. 844 Evil Law. Uh, so, you know, once you settle this, I mean, either you're going to get the 1099 or you're not um, – If you do, then that's taxed as your ordinary income, I believe. Ask a CPA, I'm not, or a tax lawyer, I'm not, although we do have them, 844-EVIL-LAW. But say there is no settlement, and we get back to the who, no, that's not me, I'm not that person, I don't know who you're talking about, and like I already talked about earlier, the burner phones, the burner addresses, and the burner emails. You can make yourself really hard to find, but you haven't made yourself judgment proof. Just because they can't find you doesn't mean they can't sue you. We have uh, something called service by posting and service by publication. It means that if the person who's suing you, usually attorney, tries hard enough to find you and can't, they can serve you in the paper. And it's usually a paper you've never heard of, like Lawyer's Court Journal or something like that, but technically it's good enough for the law. And then you end up with a big giant judgment against you and they execute it on the bank account that you use to send a check to the person that you owe money to or that claims you owe money to. And you go down to the bank one day and all your money's gone. Or if you're in one of those states where they can garnish your wages, you get your paycheck and a big chunk of it is gone. So, so, you know, hiding doesn't make you judgment-proof. You can become judgment-proof through a, series, and we may do a show about this, or we may just do a book about it, because it's kind of complicated, but you can use a series of LLCs and trusts to absolutely make it where it's impossible for anyone to execute a judgment against you, except probably the IRS, and if you do a living trust properly, maybe not even them, Um, but that's heavy-duty brain surgery lawyer-level stuff for the most part. But if you want to become judgment-proof, when do you do it? You have to do it before you get sued or before you think that there's a good chance you're about to get sued. Otherwise, it doesn't really count, and the court can overturn all those transfers, and they can still get at your money. So you have to do it. There's a how and a when. And the how changes because the laws change, but it's a little bit easier in certain states like Florida and Texas. Uh, the when is always, you need to have done it a long time ago. And, you know, if you're contemplating anything like this, you need to have done it a long time ago. If you're judgment proof though, if you don't own anything, they can't take anything. And it's how that not owning anything is structured and maintained because I can set you up with all the companies and hidden this and hidden that that I, in the world. But if you don't use them properly, then they don't count. They don't matter. So just touching on that, you know, we'll probably do a whole show on, um, how to hide, but that's, that's another one. Um, and being location proof, you know, if they can't find you, they can't serve you. (sighs) Like I said earlier, um, Eventually, they'll just seek alternative service, and then you'll end up with a judgment against you, and you won't even know about it until they start grabbing all your assets. So, that's not necessarily a good idea. On the other hand, making it super easy is not always a good idea either. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially celebrities that I've represented, or high profile or even low profile politicians. I mean, we do certain legal gymnastics to make it difficult to find out where they live, to find out a, a lot of things about them. And they're all completely legal. They are fairly complicated sometimes, but you know, not being easily found is important. And you can do a lot of it yourself. I mean, you can go online, you can pull your names off of been verified, you can pull your names off of a lot of those services, you can stop posting um, things on social media that can be used to easily identify you and track you down and all that. But we'll talk about that some other time. Why you go through all this? Well, depending on the state, there's a statute of limitations on debt. And after you make it past that, it's no longer collectible unless you do something stupid. I'll talk about the doing something stupid here in just a second. But for instance, in Texas, it's four years. And that means that four years after the last debt was incurred or the last payment was made, that's important, payment was made, it becomes uncollectible. Now, that's when it goes to, once it's become uncollectible, it goes to these 18th tier collection agencies who buy this junk debt for fractions of a penny on the dollar. They run boiler rooms and they'll try and get you to make a payment, any payment anything. It doesn't matter if it's a penny. They want you to make a payment. You know why? They don't want your penny. When you make a payment, it resets the statute of limitations and the debt becomes collectible again. So if you're fortunate enough to have debt that's over four years old that you didn't know or you don't want to pay or whatever, and someone calls you on it, laugh at them and hang up. Don't ever send them a nickel. Um, eventually it will completely go away and there won't be anybody willing to buy it for fractions of a penny on the dollar and then you'll never hear from them again. Now, if you're unfortunate enough that you do get sued over a debt, you always need a countersuit. So you can counter-sue on the value of the services. You can counter-sue on the value of whatever you're alleged to have bought. You can counter-sue on all the FDCPA violations that hopefully you've got recorded by now uh, based on the beginning of this show. There should never be a lawsuit without a countersuit. And I tell clients this all the time. They're like, I want to sue this son of a bitch. I'm like, are you ready for him to sue you back? What do you mean? I'm like... No one gets sued and doesn't countersue, man. That's the way it works. Doesn't mean the countersuit has a lot of merit, but sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And this is where I generally advise people, unless they're professionals at this, to throw in all their Fair Debt Collection Practices Act causes of action. So the countersuit, the lawsuit is one page long and the countersuit is 124 pages long. I'm not kidding. So then after the countersuit, we get back to the settlement again uh, they're going to offer to settle. You're going to offer to settle and there's probably going to be a settlement. And that's the way it works for entertainment purposes only. Thank you for listening and have an evil day.